Hello, welcome to Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Weldon. This week, we are presenting part three of a serial novel called The Brilliant Firefly, an original work by Daniel Hines. Today, we'd like to say a special thank you to Caden and his family, Joey and Lulu and their family, Charlie and Coco and their family, and Judah and his family. Thank you for helping to support our show, Judah, Coco, Charlie, Lulu, Joey, and Caden. You are part of what makes it possible for us to continue to produce fun new stories for our listeners. You may have noticed that we've had more ads on the show lately, and we wanted to reassure you that this is just during the holiday season and not the new normal. We'll be donating the revenue from our holiday ads in the name of the podcast and our listeners to DonorsChoose.org, funding educational projects in public schools around the country. If you'd like to, head to DonorsChoose.org, browse the projects that need funding, and let us know which ones you think we should support. As always, if you head to Patreon.com stories and make a pledge, no matter how small, we provide you with ad-free downloads of all of our stories for you to keep. Plus, if you become a Patreon subscriber, you'll get early access to the conclusion of The Brilliant Firefly Reborn. Stories Podcast is brought to you by Chase. All my real estate friends say the same thing. The last few years have been a seller's market. So how does someone like me looking to buy their first home stand out and get taken seriously? Chase's closing guarantee is one way to give you the edge you need. As a Chase customer, you're guaranteed to close quickly or you get $1,000. So you can show homeowners you're serious about buying without the personal letter or gift basket or skywriting it over their house. Get in your first home even faster with Chase. Learn more at chase.com stories. Chase, make more of what's yours. All home lending products are subject to credit and property approval. Rates, program terms, and conditions are subject to change without notice. Not all products are available in all states or for all amounts. Other restrictions and limitations apply. Home lending products offered by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., an equal housing lender. Summer is finally here. It's time for beach days and barbecues, family vacations, and quality time with the ones you love. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend a whole day getting my hair colored at the salon when I could be outside playing frisbee with my dog, but I also don't want to take a chance on a box kit from the drugstore. Now there's another option, Madison Reed. It took a strong woman to shake up the hair coloring world, and Amy Errett did just that with Madison Reed, the company she named after her daughter. Madison Reed offers gorgeous, professional hair color delivered to your door for less than $25. What makes their color unique is that it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm to create over 45 gorgeous, multi-tonal shades. Clients agree. With Madison Reed, you get gorgeous, shiny, multi-dimensional, healthy-looking, fresh-from-the-salon hair. But you can do it yourself at home. Get an expert color consultation or take the color quiz at madison-reed.com. And right now, Stories Podcast listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code STORIES. That's code STORIES for 10% off your first color kit plus free shipping. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. The Brilliant Firefly Reborn Part 3 Chapter 6 Suspicions The next morning when Jill came downstairs, Grandpa Jack was carrying an old television up out of the basement. 
It had a layer of dust as thick as carpeting and was about as big as an oven. Morning, Jellybean, he said, panting. I know you're missing modern technology, so I dug out the old television for you. Grab that plant for me, would you? Jill leapt forward and moved a potted fern off a low-slung coffee table, just in time for the old TV to thud down. Up close, it looked even older. It had buttons all over the front of it and wood paneling along the sides. It's a real looker, Gramps, she said, trying to sound enthused. What channels do you get here? Grandpa straightened and winced, holding the small of his back. No channels, but I've got a VHS player and an old box of movies. Why don't you grab them for me, bottom of the stairs? Jill went down and grabbed the box. The basement was littered with old electronics, most of them covered in that same heavy layer of dust as the TV. She saw a disassembled air conditioning unit, a beat-up pocket radio, some kind of old security system heaped in a box, and bits and pieces of metal and wire littered every surface. What a mess, thought Jill. But a second later, inspiration struck. She had a plan, but it would have to wait for nighttime. She brought the box of VHS junk upstairs and started going through the movies while Grandpa hooked up the VCR. It was mostly old recordings of television shows and cheesy action movies, but there was one movie that caught her eye. How about this one, Grandpa? She asked, holding up the case. It was the old superhero, Firefly, locked in combat with a giant killer robot piloted by the Scarlet King, the legendary villain. The title read, Firefly vs. the Scarlet King, Battle of the Bay. Grandpa stared at it for a long time, his lips twisted into a sneer. No, not that garbage. Pick something else. What's wrong with this one? I said pick something else. There'll be no Firefly in this house. Do you hear me? Jill threw the movie back into the box, eyeing her grandpa warily. Jeez, okay. Why do you even have it, then? Grandpa heaved a sigh, rubbing at his eyes. For the first time since Jill could remember, he truly looked his 70-plus years. He sagged like the farmer's porch of that abandoned building. I'm sorry, Jilly Bean, he said, his voice thick. I just haven't watched that one since your gram. Still hurts to think about her. I know how you feel, Jill said, thinking of her father. Not of him in the shop, laughing and showing her how to splice a wire, but of him at the funeral, laid out in his coffin after his commuter train got flipped by a supervillain running from the police. Twenty people had died that day, but Jill would have traded all the rest for her father back. Grandpa took her hand. Look at us. Couple of sad sacks. Why don't you give Madison a call? Jill rolled her eyes. She was getting pretty good at it. That girl is probably the meanest, most stuck-up girl I've ever met. I'd sooner call the Scarlet King than Madison Coachman. There was a knock on the door. Hey, Jill, are you home? It's me, Specs. Grandpa looked at her. Madison and her friends were picking on him. He's nice. He's a scientist. Grandpa nodded. Mike Specs boy, eh? He's a bright kid. I told Mike he ought to send him away to college early, but Mike won't hear it. Thinks the boy is soft. Thinks a life of hard labor on the farm will sweat the brains out of him. Well, then Mike Specs is an idiot. Happens, I agree, said Grandpa with a wink. But don't tell your mother. Jill shouldered her backpack and met Specs on the front steps. Hey, Jill. Hey, Specs. We gotta talk. Wanna take a walk? 
Spex nodded and led her back to the road. They walked in companionable silence for a few minutes, and then Jill blurted it out. I think my grandpa is hiding something. Something big. She expected Spex to look at her like she was crazy, or tell her she was crazy, but he only frowned and mulled it over. Why? he asked. Ever the scientist, it seemed. Promise you won't tell? Jill had just met the boy, but she trusted him. In a way, they were cut from the same cloth. Plus, she was dying to talk about what she had overheard. I promise, Speck said, crossing his heart. Okay, well, yesterday I saw him buying something from some kind of black market dealer or something. Somebody named Sharkskin. He was selling him some kind of tech. Spook tech, he called it. Whatever that means. Spex did a double take, frowning deeply. Spook means spy, Jill. Like, CIA spy. He was buying black market spy equipment, and he just brought you along? Jill shrugged, guilty. I was maybe eavesdropping a little. I didn't mean to, though. It just happened. Spex rubbed at his chin, thumb and forefinger pinching at the first wisps of a beard. Okay, so maybe he was some kind of spy. Or a spy inventor. Speck seized on the idea, his face lighting up. Maybe he's like Q and James Bond. I mean, he did used to design weapons for the army, right? What? said Jill. He designed weapons for who? Mom had always told her Grandpa had been an engineer, like her dad. Jill had just assumed that meant animatronics, like Dad did. But now that she thought about it, her mom was always pretty light on the details. He was at the bar in town one night, Speck said. Back when he first moved out here. Ten or so years ago, maybe. My dad and some of his buddies, real jerks, were harassing him about being a soft city boy. Your grandpa got real upset. Started telling my dad and the guys about all the weapons he'd built. Lasers and missiles and smart bombs. Speck shrugged. My dad always liked him after that. He's a big believer in a strong military, my old man. Jill chewed on her lip, running it over and over. Her grandpa a spy? It made sense in a way. He retired relatively young and never seemed to be hurting for money. He'd even paid for mom's med school, when mom would let him. But if he was a spy or some kind of spy inventor, then why would he need to be buying stuff from someone shady named Sharkskin? I don't know, said Spex. This is all pretty out there, Jill. It doesn't really add up. You think he's still making weapons in the barn? That's like some supervillain stuff. Jill went cold, goosebumps pricking up all over her body. Supervillain stuff. Supervillain stuff. You're right, she hissed. Supervillain stuff. It makes perfect sense. Speck snorted, hitching his belt up over his big belly. I was joking, Jill. Come on. Just because he made weapons and met up with a weird guy doesn't make him a supervillain. There's more, though, Jill whispered, suddenly afraid of being overheard. Today, he nearly bit my head off when I brought up Firefly. All the villains hated Firefly. And yesterday, after we got back from town, he brought that spy thing into the barn. I followed him, but he was just gone. Disappeared. You think he has a secret lab out there? Yes! And my mom always told me he was barely ever around when she was growing up. My gram died when she was just a baby, so she was pretty much raised by her aunt. She always said Grandpa would show up randomly, and he was hurt a lot of the time. A bruised this or sprained that. He always told her it was from the weapons testing, but what if it was from fighting off superheroes? Really? 
said Specs, glancing over his shoulder back at Grandpa Jack's house. You think so? Things were starting to click in Jill's brain, like a well-oiled machine finally coming together, gears turning smooth in perfect operation. What if he wasn't designing those weapons for the military? What if he was designing them for himself? Specs was silent for a moment. Jill could almost see the thoughts burning behind his owl-lensed eyes. How long has your grandpa lived out here? asked Specs gently. How long has he been retired? About fifteen years. Why? Remember the Battle of the Bay? The Scarlet King was going to detonate a super nuke in Diga City, but Firefly stopped him. The super nuke blew while they were fighting over the Atlantic Ocean. Neither of them were ever seen again. Yeah, said Jill. Everyone knew the Battle of the Bay. There was a statue of Firefly in the center of town with the date on it. How long ago was that? Jill thought of the statue and did some quick math. About 15 years. They walked in silence for a minute, each lost in thought. Do you, said Jill, do you think my grandpa was the Scarlet King? Specs flushed red, like it was somehow his fault. The Scarlet King invented all kinds of weapons and robots. No one ever saw his face. He was always in some kind of battle armor or mechanical fighter. And Springvale is about as good a place as any if you want to disappear. Jill thought of her grandpa. Always smiling, picking her up and swinging her around until she was breathless with laughter. It seemed impossible, but even villains probably loved their families. So what now? said Spex. We call the police? They'll ask him politely if he's the most dangerous supervillain ever to walk the earth, and he'll say no. We have no evidence. You're right, said Jill. We have to wait until he's asleep, and then we try and find his lab and break in. If he's the Scarlet King, we'll get the evidence there and bring it to the police. Even if he is my grandpa. You're joking. Jill grimaced, the matchstick anger flaring up and giving her strength. Not joking. My father always told me Firefly was the greatest hero ever born, and the Scarlet King killed him. And my mother always says that if Firefly were still alive, all these other criminals who've hurt people would have never dared to try. So far as I'm concerned, all those villains are the Scarlet King's fault, too. You're crazy. Maybe I am, but you'll help me, won't you, Specs? I have a plan, but I need you for it to work. No way. Specs, I know we just met, but you're smart and I need your help. Don't make me do this alone. She looked at him, eyes wide. Please help me? Specs looked up at the heavens and, getting no answer there, buried his head in his hands. And to think, I actually thought life would be easier once I had a friend. So... I'll help you. But if we get caught, you better make sure your grandpa doesn't melt me with his death ray. Jill tousled his hair, grinning wildly. I promise he won't melt you. Can't make any guarantees on the freeze cannon, though. You're joking. Tell me you're joking. Jill couldn't help but laugh. Chapter 7. Breaking In The acrid smell of melting solder filled the small bedroom. Jill leaned over, the old wooden desk chair creaking alarmingly, and opened the window. The solder smoke billowed out in a gentle cloud, replaced by the cool nighttime air. The moon was nothing but the barest fingernail in the sky outside. It shone barely enough light to cast a shadow. A perfect night for sneaking, thought Jill. A perfect night for secrets. She wiped the sweat from her brow and rubbed it into her black leggings. 
It was hot work she was doing, hunched over the little desk in her bedroom. Her laptop clock read 11 o'clock, just a half an hour more until she was supposed to meet Specs. She bent back to it. From the junk in the basement, she'd pulled the handheld radio and a window alarm from the old security system. Not wanting to ask Grandpa for his tools and arouse suspicion, her father's old multi-tool was being put to good use. She pulled the alarm apart and rewired it so that two stubby leads came out the side and wound around a pair of bobby pins. Her soldering iron was another bobby pin taped to a Bic lighter. She flicked it until the flame sprung up, waited a moment until the pin was near glowing hot, and then connected the final wire to the alarm's battery. It wasn't pretty, but it would work. She hoped. Time to go! Jill loaded the alarm, the radio, and her phone into her backpack and shrugged it on. Grandpa's bedroom was at the top of the stairs, and he slept so light she couldn't risk trying to sneak past his room. Instead, she swung her legs out the window so she was sitting on the sill. Twisting her body carefully, she lowered it until she was hanging from the window by her fingertips. It was a strain, but Judo had left her body lean and strong. It also had taught her how to fall. She let go of the window, pushing off the house with her feet at the same time. She twisted in the air like a cat and fell to the hard, packed dirt of the yard. Her landing, a perfect deep crouch, was spoiled by the weight of her backpack. She sprawled backwards with a thump and froze, waiting to see if there would be any motion from inside the house. 1,001, 1,002, she counted, not moving until she reached 1,020. All clear. She edged around the house, careful to stay in its shadow. Probably she was being too cautious, she realized, but that was always better than the alternative. Crap, she thought. There was a flickering light coming from the living room window. Grandpa must have gotten out of bed. She thought about scrapping the plan, trying another night, but some impulse made her lean over and peer through the window, glass muddy with pollen. The television was on. Grandpa had pulled up a chair so close his knees were practically touching the screen. He had angled himself so that his body would block the light from the stairs, but from the window, Jill could see the screen just fine. Firefly was soaring over Giga City. The jetpack that gave him his name was burning bright. The black, yellows, and reds of his armor were dull on the old television, but Jill could picture how bright they must have shone in real life. The scene cut, and Jill saw the Scarlet King, wearing a gross approximation of Firefly's armor, bulbous and loaded with guns, giving chase. Lasers and bullets and more were smoking towards Firefly, but he managed to dodge them all, his iconic mask hiding his features, his excitement, his fear. Grandpa was watching the old VHS tape, she realized. The scene cut again, and now the Scarlet King was starting to glow, a bright light, so brilliant the news camera could barely focus on it. Firefly turned, his fist cannons blazing with energy, and slammed into the villain. The camera image grew stuttered as the Scarlet King continued to grow brighter and brighter and somehow brighter still. Firefly had him locked in his arms now, and was flying them both up and up and out over the water. The Battle of the Bay, whispered Specs. Jill jumped and nearly screamed, biting her tongue to hold it in. She turned and punched Specs on the shoulder and clapped a hand over his mouth. Don't sneak up on people when they're sneaking up on other people, she hissed into his ear. He nodded against her hand and she let him go. They both turned back to the window. The scene had cut again, 
Now Firefly and the Scarlet King were nothing but a single glowing dot, a shooting star hanging over the bay of Giga City. With no warning or preamble, the star exploded and suddenly there was a new sun in the sky. A rapidly expanding ball of fire and light so bright that it washed out the camera, even from miles away. A great swelling orb of destruction that would have been the end of Giga City and its 10 million inhabitants if not for Firefly's sacrifice. The screen snapped to black. Grandpa put his head in his hands, and when he looked back up, his eyes were red and wet. Jill had seen enough. Come on, she said, leading Specs by the elbow. We gotta move fast. We're still doing the plan, but he's awake. Jill ignored him until they were safely in the darkness of the barn. She dug her phone out of her backpack and turned on the flashlight to its dimmest setting, illuminating only the area directly in front of her with a dull glow leached of all color. He went into the barn silo, she said, leading the way, still quiet so as not to wake the animals. She pushed open the door and quickly shut it behind them. What are we looking for? asked Spex. I don't know, some kind of trap door or something? Maybe a button or a switch? The pair set to searching, but after ten minutes they'd turned up nothing more than some old kernels of corn. This is silly, said Spex. The silo can't be more than six feet across and we've searched every inch of it twenty times over. Let's go with plan B, yeah? Yeah, you're right, Jill agreed. They crossed back to the house, this time to the wall directly across from the barn. Okay, here's the deal, said Jill. I was in the basement earlier, and I noticed a wire that comes out of the house here. You see it? She took Speck's hand in her own and guided it to the wire. It poked out from the basement a bare few inches above the earth, and then tunneled under the ground again. I got it. Why are your hands so sweaty? I'm nervous, okay? Well, dry them off. I don't want you getting zapped. Now, we're going to track the wire through the ground. Hopefully it will lead us somewhere. Spex nodded eagerly. I know the plan, just give me the signal injector, he said, taking a small toolkit out of his jean pocket. While Jill pulled the modified alarm from her backpack, he set to work carefully clipping and stripping the rubber coating from the wire. Inside the coating were three more wires, colored white, black, and green. Spex stripped about an inch of coating from each, exposing the metal beneath. Jill handed him the alarm-turned-injector. Remember, one goes on the green, that's the grounded wire, and the other... I know what I'm doing. You're not the only genius here, you know, he snapped. Jill had to smile. Spex was usually so passive, it was refreshing to see him confident in his abilities. If she was being honest with herself, it was refreshing to be called a genius, too. Spex slipped the wire-wrapped bobby pins over the exposed metal and turned the alarm on. Jill had disconnected the sound plate so it made nothing more than a dull, rhythmic buzz. She turned on the little radio and dialed it to 600 a.m. Right away, she could hear the same rhythmic pattern in the static of the radio speaker. It's working, cheered Spex a little too loudly. Jill clapped her hand over his mouth again but gave him a wide grin. You stay here and keep the injector going. Hoot like an owl if anyone comes and I'll hoot if I find something and want you to come. She turned and set off across the yard on her hands and knees, keeping the radio antenna as close to the ground as possible. If the rhythmic signal started to fade, she would turn in little circles until it came back again. It was an agonizingly slow way to trace a wire, but it would work as long as it didn't go too deep. The static trail led her across the yard and back into the barn. Jill felt her heart thumping in time with the rhythm. 
If she was more excited or more afraid, she couldn't say for sure. She thought of her grandpa crying as he watched the tape of the explosion over the bay. Whatever he was, he clearly couldn't be all evil. Could he? The signal led into the silo and then up the silo wall. It ended about four feet off the ground. There was nothing there that she could see, just the metal wall of the silo, a dead end. She hooted and Specs came shuffling over, an excited grin nearly spilling off his moon-round face. Well, what did you find? Look for yourself, Jill said, gesturing to the blank patch of wall. The signal ended there. A big fat load of nothing. This was a stupid idea. Sorry I wasted your time, Specs. I'm so stupid. The matchstick anger flared. With no better targets available, she punched the disappointingly blank metal panel. To her surprise, the section of wall slid away with a hiss, revealing a tiny pin pad, not much different than a calculator, set into the metal. Whoa, said Spex. That's seriously cool. Jill nodded and stared down at the screen. It had four blinking stars. Clearly it was looking for some kind of a password, but what could it be? More importantly, what would happen if they got it wrong? Spex clearly had the same thought. What do you think happens if you don't get the password right? Jill licked her lips. Well, it probably gives you one, maybe two chances to get it wrong in case your fingers slip on the buttons or something. My guess is three tries, max. And then what? Jill drew her finger across her throat and made a choking noise. Spex paled and began to tremble a bit. Let's not get it wrong then, yeah? Right. Any ideas? Jill shrugged. What would Grandpa use as his code? She racked her brain. In a system security book she had read once, she remembered that the most used codes were 1234, 1111, and 0000. Somehow, she didn't think a supervillain would be that simple. Still, she reached over and punched in 1234. Spex gasped as the screen flashed red for a moment. It blinked to green again, and a woman's voice echoed softly off the walls. Incorrect input. Two attempts remaining. One, two, three, four, spat Spex. That was your big idea. I don't see you coming up with anything better. Well, I will, he said, pulling idly at his chin. What's your mom's birthday? Maybe try that. Jill grunted. It was a good idea. When was her mom's birthday? October 11th. She punched in 1011. Incorrect. Input, the soft voice said again. One attempt remaining. There was a clank and clang, astonishingly loud in the close little silo. The clank was from the door, which was now very much locked. The clang was even worse. A solid, spider-like muzzle had dropped out of the wall opposite the pin pad. Jill tried to move out of its way, but it followed her, pivoting on a hidden bearing and keeping her in its sights. One attempt remaining, said the voice again. Thirty seconds to termination. Termination? squawked Spex. Jill gulped, her hands sweating. She could barely think for her heart pounding in her ears. Why is it so loud? she thought. I wish it would just stop for a minute. She turned to look back at the muzzle. Then again, there's something to be said for a healthy beating heart. Twenty seconds to termination. Oh, this is bad. This is so bad, moaned Spex. Be quiet. I need to think. 
Jill leaned over the pad, sweat dripping from her brow to the dusty floor. What could it be? What could it possibly be? Ten seconds to termination. Speck slumped against the wall, head in his hands, muttering, Get some friends. You'll like it. It'll be fun. I'm an idiot. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Jill leaned down and punched in a code. There was a terrible, guttural roar, a flash of light, and then the world went dark. Chapter 8. Buried Treasure Are we dead? asked Spex, a voice in the darkness. We're not dead, now hush! Somewhere below them, machinery was rumbling, getting louder and closer. Jill felt a slight tingle in her stomach and a dip in her knees. The whole silo floor is an elevator, said Jill. We're going down. I guess I got the code right after all. What was it? 1102. What's that? My birthday, said Jill, feeling oddly touched by her grandpa's code. Of course, it was the code for the secret elevator into a supervillain lair, but still, it was sweet. A second later, the elevator stopped and a section of wall slid open. Jill was nearly blinded by a brilliant white light. She blinked rapidly. Spex took off his thick glasses, rubbed them on his t-shirt, and then slid them back on. Oh my god, he said. Holy crap, Jill added. Stretched out in front of them was a dome-roofed room, roughly 50 feet high at the peak. The walls, floor, and ceiling were all smooth concrete, broken only by the occasional sewer grate in the floor. The room was lit by swarms of fireflies, hundreds of them, thousands maybe, all flowing together and separating again in beautiful patterns. When Jill took a step forward out of the elevator, a small group broke off and pooled like a cloud above her, bathing her in their brilliant light. That wasn't the most incredible thing in the room, though. The bulk of the floor space was taken up by workbenches, covered with every kind of tech Jill had ever heard of, and some she couldn't even begin to identify. The far wall was dedicated to some sort of command center. A giant sheet of high-def monitors covered the wall like an electronic tapestry. A U-shaped control console, covered with buttons, levers, dials, blinking lights, and keyboards, sat at the ready underneath. That wasn't the most incredible thing in the room, either. Next to the console was a strange-looking medical area, complete with some kind of silvery bath. A training area with a matted floor she recognized from judo class and a lifeless humanoid robot with four arms covered in barely opaque white plastic skin. Those, too, were not the most incredible things the room had to offer. One section of the room was dedicated to bizarre trophies placed on pedestals like in a museum. Jill recognized most of them as belonging to famous villains. There was a wicked-looking spike from Mr. Monster's tail a camo bandolier made famous by the rogue called Jackknife, the inky black cowl worn by the mysterious Grimchurch, a gnarled Letatian saucer that hovered ominously a foot above the ground, and even the preserved head of the Scarlet King's mutant land shark, so large that Jill could have walked into its mouth without ducking. Treasures all, but still not the most incredible. That honor belonged to the Firefly suits. They were arranged in giant glass cases along the curve of the wall. The oldest was barely more than a rocket in a singed leather harness. They got newer as the eye scanned to the right, each suit bigger, bolder, more advanced than the one before. 
The second to last was the firefly suit that he had been wearing during the Battle of the Bay, a beautiful piece of machinery, metal and sweat made into art, covered with a thousand dings, dents, and scratches from battle. Beyond that, in a case slightly different than the rest, there was only one more suit. This is what love feels like, thought Jill as she walked over to take a closer look. It was a thing of beauty, a triumphant marriage of form and function. It was smooth and warm-looking as a living creature, crafted of a million pieces fit together like the world's most intricate jigsaw puzzle. At first glance, it wasn't much different than the full-body armored suit Firefly had made famous. It had the same onyx black finish, the same red and yellow highlights at the joint and chest. It had the same iconic helmet with the black, oversized, almond-shaped eyes and strong lantern jawline. But up close, to the expert eye, there were a hundred little improvements. Components that were smaller and better fitted, components that were new entirely. Beneath the split black fabric of the cape, even the glowing energy jetpack that gave Firefly his name was smaller and sleeker. Even sitting there, completely still, encased in glass, it seemed to hum with power. It reminded Jill of a snake coiled to strike, of a lion stalking through the tall grass, of an eagle circling above unwary prey, ready to fold its wings and drop like death itself. It was the suit of an apex predator ready to prey on those who dared to prey on the weak. Without so much as the barest breath of a thought, Jill stepped forward and opened the glass case. He was Firefly, Spex was raving. I can't believe your grandpa was Firefly, is Firefly, the greatest hero in history, the savior of Giga City. Jill could barely even hear him. Without the glass between them now, the suit seemed to stare back at her, eye to eye, luring her closer, calling her name in tantalizing whispers. She reached out a trembling hand to touch it. "'What are you doing?' said Spex, moving a safe dozen steps behind her. "'You shouldn't touch that!' Jill brushed the metal of the chest plate. It was smooth and strangely warm. Under her hand, like a flame stirred from the ashes of last night's fire, the suit slowly came to life. The red and yellow accents glowing with an internal light, the jetpack humming with the siren song of potential energy. Okay, you turned it on, said Spex. Now I think it's time to go. Look at it, said Jill, stepping closer still. It could almost fit. Commencing, fit, came the same smooth voice they'd heard in the silo. Jill startled, tried to step away, but found herself frozen in place. Spex, I can't move! Spex shuffled closer and pointed down, his voice panicky. You're standing on some kind of pad, see? I bet it's running a current through you, locking your muscles. If I touch you, it'll lock me too. A spiderweb of red light shot out from the suit, sweeping up and down Jill's body in a thousand directions. Fit complete. Please step forward. Like the inexorable gears of a ticking clock, like a flower blooming in fast motion, the suit spun to face away from her and unfolded on a hundred cunning hinges, inviting her forward. Like a caged bird set suddenly free, Jillian Jays stepped into the firefly. To be continued. Today's story, part three of the serial novel The Brilliant Firefly Reborn, 
is an original work written by Daniel Hines and performed by me, Amanda Weldon. If you would like to support the show, please head to our iTunes page and leave us a review. If you would like to get advanced access to exclusive content and receive a thank you in a future episode, please visit patreon.com stories and make a pledge. Then send an email to amanda at storiespodcast.com and tell us who we should thank. Thanks for listening.